Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Three mistakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. All right, everybody. Welcome back to Kente Corner, your favorite casual Hoya basketball podcast. I'm your host, Bobby Bancroft, and I'm here today with Andre Goreska, from the Marquette blog, our friends in Milwaukee, Paint Touches. It's Paint Touches on Twitter. You should be following. And you can also check out their blog, painttouches.com. The guys over there have done a great job exploring over the past couple of weeks, maybe the past couple of months, the Big East media TV rights, everything to do with that. You can check out. There's, I think, at least three parts to this series. Andre, as the summer months, we're finally stretching in almost September now. But um, this has provided a lot of really good ideas, a lot of good thought-provoking. First of all, how are you? Hey, well, I'm, I'm great. Thank you for having me. I, I appreciate the, the opportunity to talk some some basketball and some Big East stuff because it seems like it's been forever, to be honest. It, it, the season ended, it, it feels like it's, it's been a very long summer without any any action on my end. It does. It does seem that way. You know, I don't know about you guys. We've got the something called the Kenner League, which you've probably seen us tweeting about. So we've kind of had mm-hmm. that for the first time in a few years to break it up a little bit. But I think that your series on the, the media rights, particularly, you know, the TV rights with the whole, you know, the Big Ten and what's going to happen with those guys and everything that's come out recently with them. I thought you guys did a great job of saying, hey, it's, you know, a couple years away in the uh, the bidding process kind of is in the present. So how is it that this series came about? Yeah, I mean, I talk about kind of the, the long days of summer. So um, during the summer, we, we tend to scale back on coverage just because it, you can only rehash the, the end of the season so many times, but this wasn't a particularly positive finish as Marquette's um, end was once more this year. So, Real quick, you guys had an incredible season. I don't want to hear oh, about no, the way no, the season no, ended, all right? Yes. You are right. No, it surpassed every reasonable <laughs> expectation and every like outlandish expectation. Um, I even I was going through some uh, bracketology stuff earlier today just to get ready for the season. Obviously, I think Palm has one, and uh, obviously Lenardi has one, and Marquette's not anywhere close. But then I was looking at last year's going through the wayback machine, and Marquette was not close. And I, I was super bearish on last year's team. Like I, even from within our like our blog group. Um, and yeah. in some of our group chats, I was the one that was like, listen, the Shock is going to run a pick-and-roll offense, and we have zero pick-and-roll players. This is not going to end well. This is going to be a sub-100 offense, so it better be really good defensively. And obviously I was way off. Um, <laughs> so I'm not complaining about the season. It's just after a while, like, you don't want to hear about the rebounding issues. You don't want to. You don't really care anymore. And I, I got the clicks to prove that no one really reads about transition defense 
faltering down the stretch. So, you know, you stop and then you, you, you kind of look around and I'm a big nerd. Um, I have this, these spreadsheets that I keep every year that I try to update during the summer when all the individual schools release their 990 tax forms. And um, really because it's a private, mostly private now that UConn's in it, there's a one public team, but we don't really get much information. So the only things we can kind of pick out are which coaches make what, and that'll all be in the individual 990s. Um, as well as kind of some of the individual projects if they're paying consultants here and there. Um, but for the most part, like I, I literally just do it once a year, I update it. And then uh, I did not realize until this year, and it makes me feel like an idiot, that the, the GEAST is also uh, non-for-profit, so it also has to post a 990. And so I started going through, and it was a treasure trove because – Obviously, you read, we all read stuff about how much the Big East is worth of Fox and how much money um, other schools are making or other leagues are getting, or schools are getting from other leagues. Uh, but now you have the exact data. It's not just kind of the hearsay from a, a reporter or from someone that's plugged in. Um, and I was just like, I would spend like a couple hours at a time. I'd be like, oh, this is, this is pretty cool. So, um, this was about the time that the noise started to pick up that the Big Ten, uh, the Big Ten billion was coming. Basically, they were going to get a billion a year, and um, I started doing some of that. And I'm like, okay, I think I want to set the stage for wh what the Big East looks like right now financially, so we can all kind of be talking from the same plane. And I started mapping it out, and it just there was a, a ton of stuff I wanted to talk about. So. Um, I think I broke it up. I think there's three or four sections. I, I literally don't know at this point over the last two months. Um, yeah. I try to do like once every two weeks or so. Um, but the big thing was how much does the, the Big East take in in revenue? How much, and then that was the first part. And how much does it distribute to the individual schools and try to get a gauge for what breakdown there is on NCAA tournament credits? So that was part number two. Part number three was TV ratings. So how has Mark the Big East held up its end of the bargain with Fox for the, the, getting the sweetheart deal to kind of launch the network. And then number four was, okay, now what is it going to look like going forward? Um, so, yeah, there's a ton of information, very nerdy, I would say not necessarily for a casual fan um, to kind of digest. But if, if you are someone that kind of really digs uh, some of the, the – the numbers, some of the, the TV stuff, I think there's a lot of information in there that is difficult to grab on your own just because it's all, it took me forever, man. I, I had to go individually through so many um, tax reform, tax files and then to create the rankings too. Um, before, um, I think it was John Templon of New York Buckets used to post at the end of the year, there's like every single game and it was awesome so then I could just download it and I can manipulate it in an Excel file. But now the only place you could get um, TV ratings is Showbuzz Daily. It's they they do not just sports, but they have a sports section too. Except they don't post it as text; they post it as a, a um, an image uh, to make it harder for people to scrape. So I had to manually go through That's basically fun. every single week of the season. Yeah, kind of pulling out, and I did it for the Big East, obviously, and then I ended up doing it for the the Big Ten to do some comparisons there, and then I have to do them for the MLS, and then I did it for the uh, EPL. So, yeah, it it the, I probably did too much, but um, it it kind of is necessary in my from my point of view to get a really good gauge because at the end of the day, what I want to be able to say is, listen, um, basketball is not on the same plane as football, and everyone knows that. Like no one's no one's gonna argue that 
were even half as popular um, from a sport perspective, college basketball compared to college football. But that doesn't mean that there's not money there. So I wanted to gauge what kind of money was available for a league like the Big East going forward because that's going to make a huge difference. And actually, um, I've been talking for about the 10 minutes, so apologies. If you have questions, you can chime in right there. But that was the other big thing. I've been on a kick, kind of kicking Mark Emmert right before he goes because um, that was one of the biggest uh, blunders that the NCAA has ever made. In 2016, they re-upped the contract with CBS and Turner for the NCAA tournament. Um, I think 3% raises from 2024 through 2032 was an eight-year extension without going to market. And this was in 2016 that they did this. So they elected at bargain basement rates, uh, probably costing NCAA couple billion dollars easily over the course of the of the, the contract and that matters because the NCAA tournament it pays basically all of the bills for um, non-revenue sports and for a big chunk of basketball so being a basketball school it really affects um, the Marquettes and the Georgetowns of the world because uh, that is a huge source of revenue, and now we're not going to see any jump in those tournament credits for at least a decade. So that that kind of was the whole like launching point of okay. looking for for where the money is coming from, what it's going to be. So now knowing that NCAA tournament credits are dependent on one, the league being really good, and a lot of teams making deep runs, which is not necessarily a given, especially now that Jay Wright is no longer our savior. Um, we have to kind of look elsewhere, and that's where the TV aspect came in. I was like, okay, well, there's this big, the, the contract runs through 2025, there's big jump in rates, so now what can we expect to see coming through the pipeline in the near future? Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. How involved with this were you when, so for everyone listening, we're going into year 10, I'm pretty sure of the biggest yeah. deal with Fox, right? Mm-hmm. So how yeah. would you, how would you when, you, when you've been doing all this research and you're looking at, you're looking forward, but when you look back, you know, I know at that time it was a really difficult thing for a lot of people to consider, you know, I mean, uh, you know, I don't, I'm not going to say I watched every Marquette game. But, you know, at the, at the time of the split, Georgetown was in a far better place than they are now. They were basically the Villanova um, yeah. as far as, you know, success, not in the NCAA tournament, which is the reason they're not Georgetown. And, you know, it's changed now. But no, as far no. as being one of the top teams, they were, you know, Georgetown had a great, they were on ESPN all the time. They were constantly on Big Monday. They were, you know, all their yeah. games were on one of the ESPN channels. And, you know, ESPN still looked at as, you know, the leader, yeah. right? Like the, whatever, the, the worldwide leader in sports. Yeah. <laughs> you know, at the time, FS1 was something not everyone had. People didn't know what channel it was. FS2, I think, had just become a thing. Maybe it had been Fuel or some weird channel or yeah. whatever. And it was kind of scary. But, look, you know, looking back at what the Big East did 
how they, you know, without UConn, they they were just, you know, all these private schools. How do you think that that, that this first, you know, initial deal with Fox has played out for the league? Yeah, well, to, to bring back to your, your initial point that Georgetown and Marquette, and obviously we are Georgetown and Marquette people here, but um, yeah. they were supposed to be the leaders that, that brought in the eyeballs. And it, it wasn't it's not just us like saying it. I, I, I was writing about TV stuff in 2013 as well. And yeah. that's how that, that's how I started in the whole TV ratings kick is I was like, I was saying, hey, Fox Sports is, is ridiculously overpaying. I think Georgetown was the only team in the top 20 of uh, average um, total viewers. Marquette was like 25, and I think Butler was the only team in the top 30, if I remember correctly. Um, so yeah, Villanova was not Villanova back then. Um, Creighton was not. No one was watching Creighton in the in the Valley. Um, Xavier was known, but not nationally. So yeah, it was definitely Georgetown's um, was bringing in the the biggest set of kind of national audience. Um, but in terms of how the league as a whole has performed, um, I, I touch a little bit on that, I think, in part three, where yeah. the first couple of years were, were bleak. And um, Bill Simmons used to have a, when he was back on ESPN, a joke. He called it Fox Fox Sports, or Fox FS 0.1, he used to call it, because most of the ratings were not even getting to one. It was 0.1. Uh, and, I mean, it was a pretty accurate joke because no one was watching this new channel. Um, definitely not for college basketball. I think there were, there was a game on FS2, DePaul against, it was a cupcake. I'm not sure. It was a November game. It got 3000 people for a nationally telecast FS2 game. Um, I mean, you could probably get that for YouTube live stream of Duke's practice at this point. Um, so yeah, it, it, it would, it started from a place where it, Fox 100% overpaid. Um, the Big East was not worth what, what it was, but the Big East was taking a giant gamble, leaving this the mothership yeah. um, that is ESPN and starting from scratch. So through the years, the, the ratings have gotten much better in terms of a baseline, and then they've gotten better in terms of the top line as well. And one of the things that Fox, is, Fox Sports is doing now is that they're moving a lot of the, the big inventory from Fox Sports 1, where it's a cable, you have to pay to, to watch to Fox, the, the national broadcast. So in 2013, there were two total games on Fox. Um, it was Marquette versus Ohio State and a non-con, and then Marquette versus Xavier in February. Um, this past year, there was 22 or 23 games on Fox. Uh, so I think uh, as, a, as an entity, Fox Sports realizes, like, hey, we are doing better from our cable channel, but if we really want to deliver, we can also – use our national like broadcast channel much to a much higher degree and they have um and i think we might have talked about it a little bit last year via tweets uh, that i was making fun of georgetown i was like you were in the right mind is going to put who's going to put georgetown on national tv six i think it was five or six times five on fox one one yeah one on cbs and i was like this makes no sense they're going to suck they're not going to be good um but there's a reason for that because um, TV people are really, really good at what they do. And even though Georgetown is not a great team last year, I mean, I think it's putting it kindly. That's the nicest and way even I though... described last season. <laughs> and even though they don't really bring a huge audience to cable, when the regulars, when the olds tune into Fox 
and they see Georgetown, they watch. So Georgetown was the most, on average, the most watched team in the Big East for Fox broadcast. There was one caveat because one of the games was against uh, St. John's, and it followed an NFL game, an NFL playoff game. So I think it followed it kind Brady. Of, yeah, I think exactly. It was yeah, Tampa Bay, Philly, right? Yep. Yep, exactly. So, so that kind of skews the numbers a little bit. But even the other ones were, were I think, four of the top seven were Georgetown yeah. games. So, yeah. so this is the cash that we're talking about. That even though some of these big programs have not delivered in terms of on the court production, there is this potential that is there. That even though Georgetown's glory days are are in the past, and even though some of the highs of the, the late 2000s, early 2010s seem like they're they're far away. Um, it, it doesn't take much for the country to realize, like, hey, I I know Georgetown, I know Ewing, like, I'll I'll, I'll watch this. So, long story short, um, the other big um, positive for the Big East has been the Big Ten, and that's weird, kind of kind of weird to think about it, but the Big Ten is a ratings juggernaut. It does not matter where they play; they were going to get three hundred thousand people to watch them. Um, so how does that help the Big East? Well, now there's a lot more people that had no idea where to find Fox Sports 1 on their, on their TV guide or on their YouTube TV or wherever that now are watching it on their own for Big Ten games that they're not going to miss. Some of those are going to end up staying for a few Big East games. Some of them are just going to just come back or see advertisements. Hey, Villanova's playing UConn. I know those two teams. I might set us some time to watch it. So the the cash that... Fox Sports 1, but not just um, Fox, but the Fox Sports 1, the cable entity has, is really being leveraged well due to the Big Ten tie-in. And the Big East benefits from that. So I think if you gauge the past 10 years, Mark, the Big East has not been worth the money that has been given. But seeing the rise in values of live sports, I think Fox is happy with its investment, and I think the Big East is happy with its investment to this to date. And so another thing, and I haven't noticed any of this tone in your guys' Twitter handle. And when I say you guys, I think there's more than one of you that runs the Twitter account, or am I wrong? It's me just now. You, uh, my, I, the original founder, Mark, uh, kind of stepped back. Um, okay. So it's just me, and then my friend Ryan also does some posting once in a while. But when it comes okay. to Twitter, I, I tend, tend to hog that. Okay. Well, anyway, so I haven't seen any of this, what I perceive in the most recent article on paint touches, which everyone should be following. I know it's Marquette, but we're a Georgetown blog, but, you know, we can all be friends at some point. Um, <laughs> I'm seeing a little, a little. Uh, you kind of were, you know, because the Big East is so hard to compare to other leagues because there's no football, you took a shot at comparing it to basically like, you know, the odd set of like misfit toys or something you called it, the niche <laughs> yeah. stuff. And you yeah, included niche, soccer, yeah. which I feel as a soccer guy, I feel like soccer is definitely not niche. I mean, I would say <laughs> NHL, you could probably throw in here. I feel like they don't have a very good TV deal and they seem to be pretty niche. But when you look at the niche, you have the Champions League, uh, the English League, uh, F1, La Liga, which is the Spanish soccer league, Bundesliga, mm -hmm. which is Germany. And you have the domestic league, MLS. MLS. I think MLS is probably the most interesting thing to compare it to. And, oh, it you know, if you can just quickly talk about these niche sports that you did all this research for. I think the one thing about MLS, and as I am a DC United guy, uh, have been for a long time, I like MLS. Um, I do follow EPL. Um, which is amazing how far it's come as far, you know, you used to, right. have to go to a bar in Arlington to watch a team. <laughs> now you can just watch it on your phone, which is incredible. But um, 
I think what the MLS did, I think, and maybe I'm just being an old person now, uh, I think going straight with Apple, I think is really, obviously, you know, we can look back and it can be bold, it can be innovative. I think it kind of, I think it's bad. I hope that the Big East doesn't do something similar, just going for the money. But real quickly, try and just talk about some of these niche sports and um, what you kind yeah. of feel is the most comparable uh, league. So when I say niche, I don't mean I don't mean to demean it because my first love is soccer, and okay. um, that's okay. that's what I I kind of know. So I say niche from a technical perspective, where there is no national broad appeal um, for these products. Obviously, EPL is kind of breaking away and F- F1 you can kind of uh, say it might have already broken away but in general these are leagues that 10 years ago weren't on TV 5 years yeah. ago had a very had a very tiny contract and have just re-signed whether it was this year or last year so I felt it was a really good opportunity to kind of compare I did think about the NHL um, particularly like you said the ratings are, are pretty gross too it's crazy right um, but, but they have a, a bigger history I think domestically so I, I didn't want to include that. Obviously, you could say that, hey, college basketball has a bigger history too. Um, but keeping it to like the soccer and F1, you saw some really, really clear-cut increases in their most recent deals. So, for example, something like Champions League um, was up 155%. And they just announced their deal like two weeks ago. It was perfect timing. Um, then EPL signed last year a five-year extension with NBC and Peacock that was um, up to $450 million a year. And then you had um, La Liga, which is, was a really good one, because they had a, a, a very kind of hidden deal with BN Sports, and then they went to um, ESPN for $135 million. So now you're seeing these are, these are pretty big numbers. And, yes, soccer is – it's difficult to compare it in some points because you have so much inventory. Uh, I think it's over 350 games. So even though you're not going to see 350 games, that's something that they can put behind their paywall, whether it's on Peacock or ESPN Plus, and then you could charge, um, get subscribers that way. So it's, it's not just a advertising advertiser-driven model. But MLS, uh, you made that point. There's a uh, they they kind of put their chips on the table. And I, I thought it was such a perfect comparison. So I spent a, a pretty big chunk of the last article kind of looking at that because MLS ratings are awful. Like, I, yeah. I like the MLS. I'm a huge Chicago Fire fan. I like Chicharito, so I follow the Galaxy. You know, I, I follow a lot of the Mexican players here. Um, I watch probably more MLS than your average person. But if if I was categorizing the Big East ratings as mediocre to poor, MLS is poor to terrible, so they that was one of the big things that was able that I was able to make cross comparisons because they have a deal both with ESPN and Fox, so they have games on FS1, they have games on Fox, they have ABC and ESPN. On this year on um, FS1, they're averaging 161,000, and only two of their 21 games crossed the 200,000 person threshold, which again, awful, awful, awful. That is much worse than the Big East did last year in. Um, there's really no way to sugarcoat that. So I think I think the problem see, yeah. with MLS in this country, right, is that almost to you know the detriment is that the fact that soccer fans have become more sophisticated and they they know when they're watching something in the yeah. morning that's the best thing, right? And right. Even though it's MLS an inferior gotten, product. It 100 is 100 percent right? is. But the thing with the Big East is that like you know. Thank God for Villanova and Jay Wright. And if you disagree with me, 
as a Georgetown fan, I mean, come on, guys. Like, we need someone to do the, <laughs> no, do the heavy if, lifting. If you like a Big East team, you have to have at least one candle of Jay Wright on your mantle. Um, it, that, those are the rules. I don't make them. I'm sorry. I just enforce them. Exactly. So, I mean, if you're watching a Big East game, even though obviously teams in the past have won titles and all that stuff, like when the new league started, Villanova proved that, like, look, there's a team that can win the national championship. So even though you might be watching Xavier Butler or whatever, this you're know, like, this is yeah. a league that the champion could come from. So I feel like that, right. you know, all these comparisons you've made are all really good. And obviously there's there's holes in some of them because it's not all apples to yeah. apples. But that's probably like like the, the biggest one, right? I mean, yeah. And the other thing is have the, prof- the professional aspect, I think, is huge. Because even though, I mean, I, I would make an argument that NCAA is now – professional sports, whether the athletes are getting paid or not, they should be, but um, there is still a mindset among some basketball fans, not necessarily NCAA fans, basketball fans, that the NCAA product is inferior to the NBA. There's there's a lot of NBA snobs out there, and yes, if you're watching an NBA game, it's a much different game. They make more shots. um, The the scores are, are usually higher, more efficient offense, but it, being a, a CBB aficionado myself, like I see, I don't see the inferiority of the product, but there is that subset out there, which I, I think makes for an even better comparison because MLS, I enjoy MLS. Like you get to see a really fun game. You get to see games um, that are high scoring and you're going to see names that you might see in Europe one day. So it, that cross comparison, I think even works when you're talking about MLS to, to the big East. Um, but that's where, it really piqued my interest. Is I know we're throwing these comparisons a lot around, but MLS just signed a contract with Apple, a 10-year, I think it was $2.5 billion contract. So every year they will receive $250 million as a league um, to put uh, for the broadcast rights, and Apple will have sole rights. So basically that means if you don't have an Apple Plus account, you will never see another MLS game again. So when you were saying it's a risky maneuver, I 100% agree because – if we're already talking about a niche product that has a smaller following than European games, now you're going to make it harder for people, a general audience that might've tuned in on FS1 or might've seen it on Fox or might've been on ESPN. Now you have to physically search it out. No one is going to turn the TV on during the afternoon and happen chance into a game. You have to seek it out. And so that's when we're talking about the big East, like, yes, there's potential that they're talking to Amazon right now, or they're they're even talking to Apple and that they would get a much, much bigger payday um, for those rights than they would on something like linear. That would be a re-up with FS1 or reuniting with ESPN. Um, But then you are losing a huge horde of fans that don't like your teams per se, but like the sport in general and will tune in. So, it is a very difficult kind of thing to balance out the need for revenue. And as we said, um, the revenues in, in the football conferences are exploding, maybe not to the level of the Big Ten, but they're gonna be, there's going to be a new college football playoff contract coming up, and they're probably going to get a couple billion a year just for that product. That will be divided among the conferences. Um, so even teams like the AAC, in, in the AAC, the watered-down version of it, will be seeing some, some heavy paydays coming in that they could then – allocate to basketball as needed. So there is this need for the Big East to kind of bolster its revenue streams. Um, and there's going to be kind of this demand side that's like, well, I mean, if, if 
Amazon's coming to you with an offer of, hey, we're going to give you each team $12 million a year as opposed to the four you're currently getting or the seven and a half you might get with a, a new deal, like that's, that's not something Val and company can just like brush off. But then it comes at what price? Like if no one can watch it other than the very, very most diehard fans, the me and you's of the world, what's the point? Are we really growing the game or are we just kind of papering over the budget until the next time we have to, to negotiate and then what, what position are we going to be in at that point? Yeah, and I don't know how much, how deep you dove into all of the really random stuff. So, you know, I went to James Madison, JMU, which is, you know, a new member of the FBS this year. They're in the Sun Belt. Mm-hmm. But, you know, as a casual fan trying to just catch some of their games, they, and I think the, the Big East women are actually on, on Flow Sports. You know, the CAA football yeah. was on Flow Sports and you can't find a JMU football fan, which has become their big sport. It used to be basketball years ago, but it's definitely football now. <laughs> you can't find anyone that had a good experience with flow. Even going back to MLS, no. DC United okay. was part of that as well for a little bit. Um, you know, I'm not saying that the Big East men's basketball is going to go to something like flow sports, but I think that when you do something like, for instance, go to Apple TV. I'm an Android guy, so how am I supposed to watch the Big East if it goes there, right? Same. I think, I've you never know, seen Ted just, Lasso. Yeah. <laughs> how do you sort of <laughs> – yeah, exactly. How do you sort of stumble – how do you get the random, you know, flipping the channel kind of thing working on? I guess Amazon's probably more open to everyone, but Apple for sure is not – I you know, I just – is there any way for you after all this, you know, research you've done to sort of get an idea for – how much more would someone like Apple or Amazon have to come at Val and company to make that work? Or, you know, or what kind of a discount do you think the bees would get to stay where they are, where FS1 is a real thing now, more games are on Fox, like you said, and it seems like it's working out okay. I think the general, like, the back of the envelope is twice, you need twice as much, to, to move off of linear into a completely streaming paywalled platform. Um, so, so that's where I got my kind of valuation of, hey, if um, MLS is getting $250 million, then you're going to cut that in half just because that's, that's what the streaming-only model is basically has to pay as a premium to, to entice a league to, to give it its right. So um, the other portion of it is a lot of these deals, like with the AAC, they, they – played up their billion dollar contract with ESPN. But one of the things that they won't tell you is a ton of the, that money is going to production costs that is not currently included. It's the same thing with MLS. Um, so the individual teams now won't be, uh, will be on the hook for the production cost of home games, which production cost seems like a kind of a, a weird thing to, to harp on, but it, the, the Big East alone spent $2 million in production for Olympic sports last year. So can you imagine multiplying a, a, a national audience for a professional sport at, again, 30-something home games. So uh, it's, it, it's going to end up bite, biting into the revenue, the yearly revenue on a huge basis. So that's the other thing you have to take into consideration. But then to your question of, like, what what would be the the, the, basic, the point where the Big East says, even though it's, it's worse for the followers, for our, our fans, for the teams themselves, the money is too big to pass up. Um, I don't I don't know because everything I did was kind of 
a guesstimate. So my, my guesstimate is that right now if um, the Big East were to re-up with Fox Sports 1 for another six or seven years, it would do so at around $75 million a year, which is up from the 40 or so it currently gets. Um, and again, that's just my kind of looking around of all and of see what everyone yeah, else is exactly, getting and just figure exactly. you're in that mix. Exactly. Um, not saying that that's what the Big East is worth, but that's that's what I'm saying. I think a Big East partnership with Fox continuing might be valued. So if if that's what you you would value at Fox Sports One, you'd have to say something like with Apple would have to be twice that. So if they're not, if it's not. Um, under 100, it's not over 150 million. Like I don't think it's even getting looked at. So that's the kind of money you'd have to be really, really um, assured of in order to start sniffing around. And frankly, I don't think Apple would would throw that at the Big East because as much as we like to play it up, um, and as much as it compares favorably in every single respect, um, both in TV performance and ad revenue to MLS, um, it it doesn't have the same um, potential, I don't think, for growth because um, we like to joke that MLS is a big Ponzi scheme, that they're, just gonna, they're never going to stop expanding the league until there's 100 teams just to keep the, the fees coming in. Um, while we could probably talk about expansion for the Big East, and I think it's one of the biggest things that has prevented a re-up right now is, is the Gonzaga topic. Um, I don't think there's going to be a point where the Big East grows outside of like one or two more teams ever. Um, so, do you want yeah, to place a place a guess at who those teams would be? Well, personally, Gonzaga would be the the top team. It, it makes a ton of sense in everything but geography. And now <laughs> that the geography cherry has been popped, so to speak, from a Big Ten standpoint. Um, it doesn't, the shock value is no longer there. Um, so now the question becomes, what do you have to do to entice Gonzaga? And that like, seems like a weird question, but going through, like I said, I went through a ton of 990s. Going through to the, the conference's 990, they have a setup where they get to keep about 90 to 95% of their NCAA credits. So that's going to be a lot of money coming their way every single year where, yes, they get peanuts for, for TV rights, but they get, they're getting all this money through their own performance. They have a pipeline of top-notch recruits. They're going to be a number one seed in the NCAA tournament again this year, so it's not the performance that's hampering them. Uh, so I don't think it's as easy as saying, like, Gonzaga should join it. It's what can the Big East provide to Gonzaga that it's not going to already get. And what the Big East can provide is a security blanket that, hey, if you don't have a good year, you're not going to be hurting for the next six because you didn't yeah. get those tourney credits. Um, so the question then transfers, okay, so let's say the Big East is able to say, okay, if you join, our yearly um, payment goes from somewhere from six to seven to like seven, eight, nine. So now is $9 million a year worth the hassle for your Olympic sports. And that's that's kind of where there's been, a, a, I think, a little pause because I think the conversations are much realer than people make it out to be. I know there was some fire, I think, when was, this was a couple months ago that the, the UConn folks were kind of uh, playing it up and then the the national folks were like, hey, there's no there's no smoke to this. But there has been conversations in the background. Um, there hasn't been deals set, but 
it, it's much, I think it's much closer than people like to make it out to be, where Gonzaga is not just a, a potential target, but a likely target. It's just about getting the financials um, matched up. And then another team, I guess, usually people are thinking one of the A-10 teams, like St. Louis, or, you know, does Gonzaga yeah. bring, a, bring a travel partner with them, and that kind of stuff? It, that, that, that's the other thing. I, I was reading through Gonzaga's boards, and that, that's one of the the thing that they had mentioned was a St. Mary's being provided, but St. Mary's is not like, not like it's close. <laughs> it's still quite a ways away. So right. you still need a flight. Um, in terms of what other team would bring value, I don't think another team other than Notre Dame, which is never leaving, never, so whatever, let's just not even approach that. I don't think another one adds value. Um, whatever, however, what it can add is uh, volume. Um, and in terms of volume, like, there's only so much you, you need, though, because if you bring a St. Louis, how many top-notch non-conference games are they going to add? Zero? Maybe, maybe one, two, if they're having a good year. Um, and then you're, you're not going to move any, to any more conference games, so you're just losing a round-robin, which means you're losing a, a guaranteed uh, Villanova-Georgetown, probably, or Villanova-UConn some years. Uh, so it, I don't believe that there's going to be, like, multiple teams added. I think if if Fox was saying, listen, here's the deal with 11 teams, here's the deal with 11 plus Gonzaga, and here's the deal with 12 plus Gonzaga, then you, you kind of do the math that way. But um, I I don't see expansion going outside of, if it's Gonzaga, um, it's them, but if it's not them, I don't think it'll be anybody. Yeah, I think the Notre Dame stuff basically is a world where, which I think should happen actually, by the way, a world where college football is its own thing and then conferences sort of reset based on what makes sense. Right. Like that would be the thing because, you know, you know, obviously a lot of this got, I think a lot of your research started with what the big Ten's doing. And what I think, what, what I think is interesting with their, you know, billion, billion, billion dollar deals and all that stuff is that, you know, it's, sounds like you're a soccer guy you know last year when soccer mm-hmm. all of a sudden we, you know everybody woke up one morning and said you've got you know five teams from england and four teams from spain oh, yeah, the super league yeah and the super league nuts. and so while it looks like we're going to an sec big 10 super league that doesn't really make sense to me like that would be the end game because if you're the big 10 you're like well okay we've got northwestern why why are they part of a super league right like if you're the sec you're <laughs> right. like why is mississippi state part of a power like so i feel like the end game would eventually be sort of like the european soccer model where there was there was teams leaving their leagues to join up together yeah i i I just don't think the end is you know a 24 team big 10 and a 22 sec i think it'll be more something where football is its own thing and then like the best schools are in a couple leagues but it's not necessarily because you know i was always been in the big 10 now they get to stay you know i just don't think it i don't think that's going to be the, the college football super league when we get to it i don't think illinois you know gets to be in the super league right like that doesn't seem to make sense to me. <laughs> no i i, I so agree i think, and, I mean, I think in, in that scenario is the only scenario which is obviously really far away and possibly never or you know likely never but i think that would be the the route to Notre Dame basketball joining the Catholic schools, right? As if basketball, as if football became its own thing, and then everything else kind of resettled based on those, those. Um, yeah, I mean, 
two things. Notre Dame is about to get $70 million a year on their own from their new NBC contract that's coming up. So by themselves, they'll be getting close to Big Ten money just for their football program. Um, And their ACC cut of just um, basically basketball plus basketball credits plus some ancillary revenue is $6.9 million in 2019. So they're making twice as much as Big Ten, Big East teams from their ACC cut, and that does not include any football in it. So there is zero monetary <laughs> value that the Big East can provide Notre Dame. What they would be providing would be kind of this historical aspect. So that, like you said, if if football is covered somewhere else and everything else gets reshuffled like it should, then we could start dreaming about it. But other than that, it is a pipe dream that will remain as such. Um, well, however, speaking it, of the pipe dream... So obviously it looks like NBC is going to stick with Notre Dame. And now that we've seen, you know, the, you know, between Peacock and I I feel like I've watched an Arsenal game on the USA network is the NBC family. Are they possible? You know, we've mentioned Amazon and Apple as coming for the big East or being potential suitors is the NBC network. Is that a possibility that they want, they might want more inventory because, you know, when, you know, Obviously, you're not in CAA country, and it seems like all of a sudden I'm not either. But at the time of all this realignment, NBC had just signed a deal with the CAA. And I always yeah. make the case that obviously the Big East, you know, went from having, you know, Syracuse, Louisville, Notre Dame, all these schools. But the CAA, you know, had one year, they had three at-large teams. Or I'm sorry, they had three teams in the tournament. I'm not sure who won the who won the automatic bid, but there was a yeah, year two where at-large, yeah. VCU and Mason all made the tournament. I think it was in 2011. So at that time, NBC was trying to get into that deal. I think they've got some A10 stuff, um, but you know, yeah, the A10 contract now. Um, you know, the A10 just doesn't provide as much as sometimes it looks like on paper. Do you think that you know the Peacock brand is going to be a player for this at all? Or I I did think about it particularly because the Big Ten is shifting its ESPN inventory to Peacock, um, which is pretty controversial um, in some of the conversations I've seen. Uh, But I don't, I personally, I don't think that NBC will have much interest uh, because what they want from the Big Ten in particular are those subscriptions that they know can be driven in bulk um, for, for basically the whole year. And the other thing is that I just read it this morning, so it was perfect timing. The EPL has greatly benefited from NBC Sports shuttering um, its doors. And so all of that content that used to be on NBC Sports that nobody watched moved to USA, which a lot of people watch, whether they're soccer fans or not. So then they wake up and they left it on at night, then they watch it in the morning. So they're having a banner year ratings perspective. Um, the CEO is like, yeah, this is, this is a no-brainer. Um, I think they put the... Um, what was it, the Tour de France on the USA Network this year, and that was amazing. But the thing is, they don't want nighttime inventory on USA Network. They want that morning inventory. So they want that European um, sporting leagues. And the reason I say that is because, let's take Champions League for an example. Um, they just got a great deal. I think it was $2 billion or something. I don't know. I, I don't have the numbers in front of me. But um, they re-up for um, a huge amount for CBS and Paramount. Um, and Paramount Plus hosts uh, approximately 95% of the games with CBS, the broadcast network, getting most of them, and then CBS Network, uh, the cable channel, CBS Sports Network, sometimes airing a few. The CBS broadcast had 11 
broadcast last year. And they did fairly well between 600,000 and a million. And then the final did like 2 million was the best in 10 years or something like that. It was great, big success. Did you know that the, the shows that it preempts, that it takes its place because it's obviously happening at 1, 1 to 3 p.m. Um, when there would normally be soap operas, those soap operas, I think it was, I don't know if it was The Young and the Restless, but it was, they all sound the same to me. They get three times as big an audience as Champions League for a, a generic midweek, um, one of five days a week show. So when we talk about sports, what we're saying is that it has huge audiences and it has huge values, sure, but it has to be like in context, in replacement of what. So USA Network doesn't need nighttime content because it's going to run whatever movie, the Harry Potter marathon or whatever, and it's going to get a couple million people to watch anyway. So it doesn't really need that inventory of live sports to bring in advertisers because it, it already has it. Um, so that long, long-winded answer to say, so no. I don't see, yeah, I don't see the, the NBC being a player. But again, maybe they have bigger dreams with Peacock than than we are all led on to to believe. Um, same with CBS, uh, particularly since they they already have a cut of Big East games from the Big East, from Fox and that they put on Fox Sports. Uh, sorry, on CBS Sports. Um, I don't think there there's going to be much interest from them, even though they have two fairly. Um, new and kind of they're still trying to launch and and gray in people's minds networks um, that are streaming right now. There's always ESPN and ESPN Plus though. (laughs) But yeah, Uh, it's to me it seems like it's Fox, it's uh, streaming or potentially ESPN, but I would say with 60% confidence that it's going to be re-up with Fox. Hurry up with Fox. Okay, yeah. well, that's been a lot. So you wrote a lot of words. Now you've said a lot of words <laughs> on Kente Corner. That's perfect. Before we get out of here, let's actually talk about these two basketball programs. Um, you know, if we if we if we rewind to the eight nine game in the two thousand twenty one Big East basketball tournament after, or I guess before that game, if you had told me the paths the programs have gone on. I probably I don't know if I would have believed you. Um, if you told me one of these teams is going to win a Big East tournament and then go winless in the league, I'd say, well, that doesn't seem to make any sense. And <laughs> if you told me Marquette was going to make a coaching change and Shaka was going to get out before, you know, Texas started paying attention to what was going on with them, um, I, I guess if you, if you look at it too, I think you know Shaka's, you know, for as much bad luck as Georgetown maybe had, that got JT three out of business. Um, seems like Shaka's teams from uh, over a couple of different schools now, he's had some pretty uh, bad luck. Um, can you believe where we are with these two programs? No, it, it's wild. I mean, an 8-9 game should not matter, like, ever. It, and it, it ended up changing the trajectory of two, like we're saying, two two very prominent schools in the, in the scope of the Big East and what, what the Big East, what, it, what they mean to the Big East. Uh, because... If you, I mean, you you follow me on Twitter, so you probably you probably saw some of the Wojo angst, and you follow a lot of Marquette people from from some of the interactions I've seen, so you saw it. But outside of like our Twitter bubble, there was zero, let's say, appeal for a, a, a coaching change. There was no ESPN articles about Wojo being on the hot seat. Um, the, the, the school as a whole was in a budget crunch. There was no money for buyouts, even if there if there was a hot seat. So 
going to the eight nine game, the only thing I was thinking was like, oh, you know, there's a really good chance Marquette makes the tournament. Like better chance than than an eight seed deserves. Obviously, you got if you get past Georgetown, you got a hobbled Villanova without Gillespie, and once you you get past that, then you're playing with house money. Um, and you you win that, you you know, you're, you're one game away from the tourney. So. I had zero inclination that it would be such a pivotal point in time for, for the programs because obviously with Georgetown winning that game and then winning the tournament and then Ewing getting an extension, kind of locking the current uh, program in its, in its state for at least a few years, it, it, it's wild that it had that kind of impact. And, and then was Shaka – was that some was that a name that had been you know mentioned before was he so like how long was the list you well, think to actually you know who was who was involved and was Shaka someone that had been mentioned before is that someone that the fan base was clamoring for well I'll tell you this there was a long history with Marquette and Shaka prior to him going to Texas it, it just been tomes written on it on our on our blogs it's called okay. the done deal crisis where in 20 it was a 2014 so buzz leaves marquette for virginia tech and obviously there's a search and there are good sources within the program that people that know stuff and then good sources locally um so not just kind of under aggressive paint touches saying that shaka smart to marquette is a done deal um he's on a private jet to Marquette, and he will be announced at 5 p.m. I think it was a Friday, and it, like it was just a whirlwind of crazy information. Because then Gary Parish is like, "Wait, wait, wait! No, this is not actually true. It's not a done deal." So I've never actually gotten the lowdown in terms of what ended up happening, but there are there's good information to be had that there was a preliminary deal in place that he backed out from in 2014 um, for a myriad of reasons. Uh, but it was not a done deal. He, it was just like a framework that was agreed to. So that was in 2014. Obviously, we flash forward to 2021. Wojtko gets fired. It's a huge surprise. No one saw it coming. I think Goodman comes, releases one of his one-minute videos. You know, he talks about whatever's going on that day, and he says, watch for Marquette to to reach out to Shaka Smart or Nate Oates. And internally, like in, in our groups, we're just laughing like, yeah, right. We're not going to get Shaka Smart or Nate Oates. Shaka Smart is employed at Texas. Nate Oates just, just left for Alabama, and he's already got him in the tournament. Um, There's less focus on our the real targets. Um, and I think Ryan, one of my colleagues at Paint Touches, a really, really good breakdown. It was like six or seven names. Um, none of them included Shaka Smart. So when word started filtering, like, hey, no, this is, like, legit. Like, they're, they're in deep conversation with him right now. It was really, really surprising because not just the fact that he was at Texas employed, obviously he was going to be on the hot seat the following year, but the fact that there was this long history between him and Marquette where it was kind of acrimoniously ended and there were very real concerns whether either side would be happy with each other. But he's sitting like a glove, so it, it, it really worked out. It's a kind of a best-case scenario with losing that 8-9 game where you get rid of the dead weight in Wojo and you kind of pick up someone that is has gotten the taste of the bright lights at Texas and the big money and now knows what he doesn't want so he can build what he wants at a place like Marquette. Now, in this, you know, um, 
this might be a question that's only interesting to me. So everyone that's still listening to Kente Corner, I want to thank you. But one of the, and I was a JT3 guy, one of the interesting subplots I thought was going to be or something to look for, something to look forward to, and I was very interested, and I thought absolutely based on what he did at Princeton and Georgetown, JT3 was deserved of another job. Um, it seems like there's been a couple, you know, maybe chances, but it's not really been... Uh, hasn't really been a good fit or, you know, maybe the compensation. You know, JT3 was making a lot of money mm-hmm. at, at Georgetown to do a job that's, you know, seemed like it's gotten way harder since he's gotten out, by the way, with, you know, right. the transfers and the NIL, the NILs. And, you know, it's definitely gotten more and more uh, complicated. But, you know, going back to at least in the 60s somewhere, Georgetown hasn't had a coach leave and coach again. And I don't know all of Georgetown's oh. history, but obviously Big John retired. Okay. Yeah. Craig Eschrick after five years, there was some, you know, there were some rumors of like New Mexico, um, maybe it was New Mexico state and nothing really came about from anything. He currently is, he does some media, he calls some games locally and he's also a professor over at George Mason over in Fairfax, oh, wow. not, not too far from me. Okay. Uh, whether or not he was deserve, you know, whether or not he deserved another deal. Uh, I mean, if you look at other people that get second jobs, I'd say sure. Craig Eschrick was, he was an okay, okay coach. Um, JT3 obviously deserves a job if he, yeah. you know, if it was going to work out. Like, if you look at his resume, what he accomplished, he's not someone that you're like, well, he can never coach again. Like, that's clearly not <laughs> a thing. But when you, so, but you guys, you guys have it, right? Because, you know, Buzz Williams did a great job at Marquette. I mean, probably, yeah. you know, well, you did. can tell me, maybe he made the fan base unrealistic based on what he accomplished as far as advancing in the tournament. What have you guys seen? from afar when you look at what he's done at both Virginia Tech, which he ended up getting Tech in a pretty good spot as he walked out the door, but surprisingly hasn't really had, I mean, much success at all really at Texas A&M, unless you count that NIT run they had, right? Like, so what's it been like from afar yeah. watching, watching Buzz Williams? Well, the thing, I mean, there's a couple camps within the Marquette fan base. Um, I fall in the camp where I, I He's not a good person, but he is a fantastic coach. Um, <laughs> if he's not someone that you want like your kids to go to school with, but he is definitely someone to coach your kid because he will get the best out of you. He, he should be a motivational speaker. Like he could be a Tony Robbins sort of person. Like he's like that level of um, impact on people. Um, but yeah, it was really it was not surprising at all to see him leave Virginia Tech because he hit, he had a very, very quirky kind of mentality where he needs to have this um, affect, affection at all times. And not that he didn't have it at Virginia Tech or not that he didn't have it at uh, Marquette, but what he sees, and in his own words, what he's told writers is that he sets this bar and then he surpasses it and now the bar gets raised and he doesn't want to be there when the results don't meet up these newfound um, expectations. Yeah. Um, so he wants to get out kind of before any bridges are burned. So what he does in the meantime is kind of bombs the bridge as he leaves. Um, so you won't find many Marquette people that like him personally. You won't find any Virginia Tech people that like him personally. Um, but you will definitely find most of Marquette and Virginia Tech fans. They'll tell you that, yeah, his results on the court were like substantial, uh, tremendous, great, whatever kind of word you want to use. Um, because he was able to exceed kind of expectations at, at both places and fairly consistently too. It wasn't just like a flash in the pan. He had one good year and like rebuild a couple of times. 
I mean, he was he should have beaten Duke that one year at Virginia Tech. Um, we we talked before about the the last time Marquette won an NCAA tournament game was um, in D.C. against Miami in the Sweet 16 in 2013. So yeah, it, you you can't deny the effect he had on the program when he was here but i mean i've, I've gone on other podcasts and talked a lot about him so i'll, I'll, I'll keep it nice and, and short here yeah. that it, i i've gotten past my kind of like ill will stage where i'm just kind of like seeing him passively not necessarily rooting for him but um definitely surprised that he has not succeeded as as he kind of has everywhere else so quickly when he's in his comfort zone at A&M. Yeah, that's definitely, it's definitely something that you don't think about when you don't know what the other fan bases are going through, but I definitely was interested in what JT3 could have done somewhere else, maybe after like a year or two break. But now that it's been a five-year break, I don't see him getting back into coaching. <laughs> and I would sort of question why anyone would really want to coach right now, given the fact that your team is new seemingly every year. Um, speaking of that, what, what are your what are your thoughts for Marquette this year? And oh, I, I guess I should ask um, as well. How has the fan base gotten over Justin Lewis leaving and not being drafted? Because we had to deal with Aminu Muhammad yeah. leaving and not getting drafted. But I think everyone always kind of knew based on sort of Aminu's not Aminu, but sort of his guardian. Um, just sort of seemed like he was definitely going to be a one and done, regardless. Yeah, of- I remember. I- I read some of those posts that uh, that the, tw- the tweets he would have, and uh, yeah, so that, uh, you definitely have the sense that Muhammad was was gone as soon as he declared. Whereas with Justin Lewis, it was a, a legitimate question. Where yeah, it it at the last game, I think it was against St. John, so senior night. Um, I was saying like, hey, well, you should have honored him then because he's definitely not coming back. Um, <laughs> he was in like the, the high twenties in terms of most of the uh, project the mock draft projections at that point in time. But then, obviously, his stock dropped. Uh, the workouts weren't great. He went to the combine, and he didn't participate in the um, in any of the scrimmages, which is shocking. They, they told us that he had a guarantee of sorts, and the only guarantee exactly. was that he wasn't drafted. So yeah. um, it, it's weird because people assumed he was going to be gone. Um, and so even though we got our hopes up a little bit um, – during some of those months that he may, Hey, you know, maybe he's coming back. It, it never felt like he was on the team. It was more, he was going to be a good addition to what we had. So um, in terms of how that ties into like prognostications from Marquette this year, I think they're quite similar to last year, to be honest, where I think most people outside of Marquette fans will have Marquette in that third maybe fourth tier so probably eight nine ten ish range just because uh, obviously the lost lewis lost marcel lost quest um so three or four starters are are, um, are leaving and then you don't really have a, a scoring presence coming back and some of the people that played heavy minutes last year were in a very low usage situations and you have kolek who was not great um offensively at least efficiently uh, scoring wise, so I, I can see that. And I'll tell you this: if if you haven't bought stock yet, Oso Igadaro, um <laughs> he he's going to be somebody that nobody knows how to pronounce his name because he played last year, obviously, but he was not necessarily a, a dominating presence or kind of a, a go-to player. But um, he's someone that has just grown tremendously in his two years, and 
um, has a skill set as a point guard, as a 6'10 point guard or 6'11, I don't know what he is, um, that they call that his nickname internally and what Shocker calls him is Point Oso. So um, he's the kind of guy that can have this breakout that um, Shaka Smart, for some reason, doesn't have great guards in terms of a trajectory of sending them to the NBA, but he has worked magic with bigs. So if you want a little lowdown in terms of internally where the expectations might be higher than um, anything you read online or, or anything you read from a national publication, I think NCAA tournament bubble would be kind of a good season. I think a accurate prediction would be somewhere NIT-ish. Um, and if, so if they get into the tournament, I think they'd be in the, the higher end of the possibilities. But obviously there's the lower end, too, where they, they miss the NIT because I don't think the floor is very high. You're, uh, we are assuming a lot of things having to go right. Obviously, Omex uh, being able to step up as a go-to scorer, Kolek increasing his three-point efficiency, also taking that leap that we are expecting, um, and then some of the other pieces also jiving. So um, to make it – to not elaborate any further, um, I, I think kind of that – Third-ish tier is, a, is an accurate measurement stick for Marquette, at least going into the season until we see some of the pieces perform. What do you guys think when you see the coaches that just joined the Big East, right? I mean, you know, we know it's a basketball. Oh, man, yeah. But, like, so you guys just added Chaka Smart. That's obviously that's, – that's a plus. And then when you look around the league, and it's like, okay, we've got, uh, we've got Sean Miller. We've got Thad Mata coming out. I mean – you know, when you say eight, nine, ten in the league, and I think you know right now Georgetown is usually getting listed, you know, eleven, ten, nine, somewhere in that you know that range. So yeah. I guess they're kind of overlapping a little bit if that's what you're saying. But when you look at what is happening in the league, right? Like it's kind of is it is it scary? Is it a good thing? What's the? Oh, it's a great thing. From, it's uh, a great Milwaukee? thing. Yeah, uh, Jay Wright leaving is scary. Yeah, um, yeah, but Sean Miller coming in like. It's such a grand slam for the league because he not only brings the results, like he brings controversy, he brings attention. Um, and he'll probably be suspended at some point this season for all the stuff that happened in Arizona. He's going to sweat through six shirts. Um, and you need that because, like we said, uh, people aren't going to naturally like go over to FS1 unless they, they just saw a game or are looking for something else. So so to have that kind of reference point is huge, huge, huge for the league. And he's a really good coach, too. Obviously, um, the whole reason that he's able to stick at Arizona was because he was taking them to Elite Eights and uh, hasn't gotten to their Final Four hump. But, I, like, for me, I have Xavier as the team that's going to win the Big East this year. Like, that's how highly I think of him. Um, Thad Mata, I think, is a bigger roll of the dice where you can't deny his talent, but um, is he is he really a good fit for this environment like we were just talking about with rosters turning over every two minutes and, and I think NIL he's on TikTok, playing a big right? portion? <laughs> I, so if he's here in five years, it'll be a shocker to me. So to me, the question is, can he win enough like now and get a transition in place to kind of smooth over? But, uh, but the Butler way is, is one that just doesn't make a ton of sense to me. Um, so in general, I think it's a high risk, high reward. Um, Shaw is a good hire for Seton Hall. Um, I'm not as bullish on him as m- most of the media seems to be, and I, I don't think they're going to be very successful this year. But in general, I think he, he proved that uh, even very difficult circumstances, he could build a team 
um, that is cohesive, which is not easy to do at that level. So um, he's got that going for him. And then Kyle Neptune, I, I mean, I, a guy that's similar where, hey, he was able to do some stuff at Fordham that no one can normally do. Um, is Villanova at a place where it could run itself? Is he going to bring any sort of different dynamic than Jay Wright? I don't know. So to me, those two are kind of like, I'm going to wait and see. I don't want to make an assessment. I don't think they're bad hires. I don't think they're good hires. I, I, I just need more data to kind of process. Yeah, I think around the time when John Feinstein was on John, this is John Feinstein from the you know Washington Post and mm-hmm. author when he had I think he decided for no reason on a local the local morning sports drive the sports junkies to put out there that you know I think he said something along the lines of Patrick Ewing's going to retire, which made Patrick Ewing's Twitter account put out that he's <laughs> not retiring, which was kind of wow. This, account doesn't get used a whole lot you know um <laughs> around that time i think it was like the hottest of wow let's say you know and then um a couple of the yeah. guys at casual hoya wrote a it's time for patrick ewing to step down piece yeah and there, seemed to be, there seemed to be a little bit of you know i wouldn't say momentum but i would say smoke right um, yeah, yeah. Particularly when Ewing's account tweeted out that he wasn't retiring, it sort of made you feel like, uh, "Wow, this is what people say when <laughs> they're not." You know? something. Yeah, or exactly. this is what people say when they actually are. Sorry. Um, Neptune was actually one of the names that I think excited the Georgetown fan base a good amount yeah. in this in this in this world where Ronnie Thompson yeah, uh, is not like involved in the hiring, and you know it has to be someone in the circle and all these types of things. And this <laughs> idea that there were, that the job would be open and open in the sense that there was more than a couple of candidates that are actually allowed to you know be the coach. <laughs> yeah, obviously we're not there, but yeah, Neptune was someone that had uh, fans. I don't think any of the other any of the other new coach definitely not Thad Mata. There might have been some people thinking that Sean Miller, but I mean, come on, give me a break. Um, <laughs> That being said, what is the view from afar of what's going on in Georgetown? And, you know, we can tie this into our little back and forth, I think, maybe a year ago or I guess, yeah, probably about a year ago when the TV yeah, schedule came out. And, I, you know, I think you were saying, well, what's Georgetown doing here? And I'm just like, look, come on, Georgetown, give me a break. So from that standpoint, you know, the idea of does the Big East need Georgetown? Maybe, right? Especially with Villanova being a question mark. So what what do you think about what's going on at Georgetown? Yeah. To me, it's not a question of need because I think Biggie's has been plenty successful without yeah. Georgetown being successful. Same um, with Marquette, obviously, to a lesser extent because it doesn't have the national pedigree. But to me, I think it bolsters – Georgetown being successful bolsters the league more than any other team um, there. So that's not to say that if the Biggie's needs Georgetown to be successful – to thrive, but if Georgetown is successful, I think it lifts the league more than any other team, maybe other than Villanova, um, would at this point in time. So, I mean, I'm not one of those people. Like, I'm not. I can't say I'm a typical fan, but I have very little acrimony to other teams, especially Big East teams. I, I like a lot of the teams, to be honest. Um, I try to minimize my interactions with fan bases to keep the the Pollyanna view alive and well, but. Uh, yeah. In general, I it's not like I'm wishing ill on even DePaul. Like I, I think I'm the biggest DePaul fan in in Chicago, and I don't even like DePaul. Um, but in, in general, I think there is a sense that Georgetown's time has passed. But I don't 
think that's to say um, it, uh, it's like forever. It just means right now in this current environment, the way the athletic department is set up, the way the, the program is, is run, the way it's still in the shadow of Big John, um, it, there is very little room for success. And obviously I'm, I wasn't here for the L years, but I was just I was going through some um, clippings for O'Neill, um, O'Neill, the coach that took Marquette back to the NCAA tournament for the first time since Hank Raymond's. Um, so it was um, Al McGuire, Hank Raymond's, uh, Rick Majerus, Duke, and then that's when it was the, the, the dark days where Marquette was considering not even having a basketball program, and then um, O'Neill brought it back. But he, and what he was saying is that the, the weight of Al McGuire was so heavy that he could barely go to any function without someone showing him the clip of the 1977 team. And I think George Son is still stuck in that. that even though uh, Big John has passed, even though it's not a, his relative, his son running the program, that until that shadow can kind of be cast, until they can move on from the program, like still honoring him, obviously, for all of the, that he did, um, but not necessarily sticking to his ideals, in um, creating the, a new program based on Georgetown, not based on Big John. I think that's, that's going to be the difference. But, I mean, what do I know? I'm just a basketball fan that watches way too much and reads way yeah, too no, much. It's, it's just interesting, you know, because, you know, I've got my cast of regulars on here that all do a great job, and um, the Kente Corners have the frequency is not very, uh, very high right now because there's you know we're just not a lot to talk about that's different rather than get on here and just you know that's why when i see the tv media rights it's like yeah. wow that's a new topic right we can talk <laughs> seemingly forever yeah. about it which we've done tonight um, <laughs> it, it, it's just interesting to see how others view georgetown i think that their run in the big east tournament really did show that just given like any success like, even mm. though the Big East Tournament, I think, is something that ESPN tries to pretend doesn't exist, Georgetown was all over there, you know, from being yeah. Villanova, going in all the way to just crushing Creighton. They became a thing. You know, you've got Rich Vakin yelling, Hoyas win. It's making Sports Center. Yeah. It's on the lead. And that's from a team that, they, they, you know, in a league that they basically try to pretend isn't yeah. there. So... I don't think it would take too much. I think what you said about moving on is is a big deal. And, and that's one of the things I think that's most it's most confusing is that this idea that, you know, Big John has to have influence over the team and the program forever doesn't really line up with the fact that he never really built a coaching tree. <laughs> it, it was basically like yeah. his assistant. He really basically, I won't say lucked out, but the fact that his son independently through Princeton ended up having, you know, a lot of his father, but a lot of, you know, Pete Carrill, um, that just sort of, that wasn't a plan. You know, he didn't, you know, his other son, right. Ronnie, who is still involved somehow, some way with the program, actually, <laughs> you know, much more involved with his dad at the school than JT3 was. And then as far as, you know, if you look at Duke and just how many players they've shuffled, I mean, you just had one of the coaches yeah. over with you guys. They've just shuffled oh, yeah. guys through that system and they've sent them away and then they come back or they, you know, they get a job and there's no tree like that yeah. for Georgetown really no, they, at all. I mean, so it, it does, it does seem weird that they're stuck. They're stuck wanting to stay in that path when they, they didn't set up a plan for it. There, there's no plan yeah. to stay this way. Even, even Patrick who's trying his best <laughs> we know was in the NBA forever. And he was never on path to be a college coach. You know, yeah. it's showing well, right and, now. 
you know. Um, and I think the, the the reason that I going back to the, our main topic, I, I will go back to the TV numbers because those don't lie. Like those numbers are what a lot of college basketball is based off of, and we usually don't get a lot of insight into it. And what that shows you is that when giving a nat- when given a national platform, Georgetown delivers. So now it's a matter of bringing the level back to where Georgetown is in the national conversation and not for like a ha-ha, look, they haven't won any games, but in like, hey, they're winning, they're fun, they're bringing talent in. Um, and when that happens, like I think it is good for the league. Um, so I, I am I am one of the people that would say that I, I would I would trade the success of a Creighton for Georgetown. So like if if, if it was Georgetown with Creighton's roster right now, like you'd be reading about national titles basically on every page every two weeks or whatever. Like this, this that sounds good to me. College, <laughs> right. So there there is a level of importance where I think Georgetown is still tier one, even without results. Um, but at some point you got to bring the results or else the, the, those, those people start fading and, and you turn into DePaul of the nineties and then DePaul of the two thousands. We don't want to get to that, right? No, no, it, it is crazy. DePaul was when I started paying attention. So I guess I'm showing my age a little bit. DePaul was still, they were still hanging on to what they had accomplished in the early eighties when I started watching in the late eighties, uh, early nineties. Um, but yeah, what, what they've not accomplished for so long is very scary tale. Um, what a great way, what a great way to, uh, to end everything with, uh, scaring people with what you could become, which is DePaul. And by the way, I hope DePaul gets good. I hope, I hope DePaul gets good. I, I mean it. I, I, like yeah, I am one of the biggest I, I football fans, so <laughs> I, I I kick I kick them for not caring for having that AD that legitimately minimized the men's program. Um, Jean Jean Lenti Pacenta. I'm not sure how to pronounce her name, but yeah, um, as we like to say on our at the Marquette fandom is eat at Arby's. That's that's a good way to end things. You know, like hey, life is you're gonna die. Might as well eat at Arby's. I'm not even sure where I could find an Arby's, but I'm sure that there are somewhere in here. <laughs> somewhere so andre greshka if you guys aren't following paint touches you should be on twitter and check out their blog there's all kinds of stuff if you want to try and guess where the next big east tv rights deal is going to go and how much it's going to go for there's probably not a better way to start than checking out all the research andre's done with the showbiz daily numbers and all that stuff he says that he's in the 0.1 percent of the nerds and based on what we've just talked about for the last, I don't know, maybe I'll make this a two-part podcast. Um, uh, I think that it's clear that uh, he's a nerd, I'm a nerd. And uh, yep. if you've listened this far, you're probably a Big East nerd too. I want to thank you for coming on. And when we get this contract, we'll have to go back and look and see how right you are or how wrong you were. And that, that'll be the fun part, right? Oh, I can't wait. Can't wait. All right. Thanks again for your time. Both of us had to put our kids to bed before we did this. So thank you so much for dealing with all that stuff. Everyone listening to Kente Corner, you subscribe and all the places you get podcasts. Hit that button. It helps us out a lot. Send me a tweet on Twitter at Bobby Bancroft. Let us know what you want to hear next. Probably pretty soon. We're going to start actually talking about the season as it's going to be September in just a couple days. Andre, thanks a lot, man. No, thanks. Thanks for having me in. See you.